to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today we're going to talk about what it means for inflation expectations to be anchored. And you can't tell, but I'm making little air quotes around anchored. And and why does it matter? Uh, but first, um, I want to tell you that it is always my goal to create a quality podcast. Now, you, the listener, you right now, you're saying to yourself, hey, I don't come here for a quality podcast. This is not the place to go for a quality podcast. Quality information, quality insights, yes. And production values, maybe less than 100%. But still, I want to try to produce a podcast that is not just 25 minutes of me just rambling on. And, and yesterday, I recorded a podcast, and at the end of it, I, I kind of looked at what I had done, and I junked it. I just threw it away because it was, it was dreck, really bad. And, uh, and although you'll never hear it, I want you to know it was really bad, and I want you to know, more importantly, that I threw it away because I want to produce a quality podcast. So today, uh, though, I am going to start with a general overview of what I had said yesterday uh, because it is important. And then we'll get into the inflation expectations thing. But first, I wanted to talk about um, the the bad recessionary sorts of numbers that that we we've seen some of this week. So we had on uh, I think it was Wednesday, we had really bad retail sales numbers and and really bad uh, industrial production numbers and capacity utilization numbers. For December, and so the first thing to sort of say is, okay, these are December numbers, but they were quite bad. Um, you know, the uh, retail sales, you know, X Auto and X Gasoline, the Control Group, all those things, really bad retail sales. Again, it's December, and and a lot of a lot of um, uh, things can, you know, a lot of uh, seasonal adjustment happens in December, and so that can really throw things off. But um, uh, but that's not, you know, it, it. those numbers are sort of consonant with what we have recently been seeing, which is a general softening um, of of the data. And, and as I've said for some time, it would be really remarkable if we did not end up in a recession, given what happened to energy prices last year, particularly the first half of the year, and what happened to interest rates the entire course of the year. It would be really bizarre if we did not have a recession in 2023. So it looks like we're going to. Um, but but what I find fascinating is that is that you know the forecasts for inflation, which obviously I'm I'm watching all the time, but the Wall Street forecasts for inflation are now calling for, and they've been calling for a while for inflation to sort of moderate, and, and, and we are clearly past the peak in inflation, at least in the near term. Um, but the forecasts have been calling for inflation to just slam down to to the, the target, the Fed's target, and basically stick there. And and I find it fascinating that that um, people are using the fact that we're heading into a recession as part of an argument for why inflation is going to come down. And these are all the people who said before, kind of at the beginning of the of the COVID crisis, when we had you know a massive contraction in economic activity, and all these people said, "Well, we can't have inflation because we've got this massive recession." And they were, and that was clearly wrong. Okay. And now the same group of people is saying, well, now we're going into a recession, so we, you know, we're going to have this disinflation thing happening. Look, learning is hard. Uh, it is optional to learn. 
but life is also hard, and it's even harder if you if you treat learning as optional. And so you you really should learn from the fact that the forecast of you know deep deflation from COVID didn't happen. Maybe you know maybe that's just a one off, uh, and and so we shouldn't pay any attention to it. But but that's not the only place it happened. We had recessions in the 1970s, and we didn't have disinflation. Um, we had a recession in the early 1980s, which had disinflation, but that we also had money growth going from 12% to, to zero um, over the next decade. We had recession in the early 90s. Um, we had recession in the 2000s. And in both of those episodes, core inflation, um, especially ex-shelter, didn't do anything special, didn't go down at all. And so you look at all these things and, and it's, it's, it's hard to believe what, that there's such adherence to this idea that now we're heading into a recession, so therefore inflation will come down. Now, I do believe we're heading into a recession, and I do a recession, and I do believe that inflation is going to come down, just not as far as people think. I just don't think those two are necessarily joined at the hip. And 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 later in this episode, I'll kind of you know, bring that that insistence on believing that point that they are joined. Um, I'll circle back to it. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, core goods prices now have, are, have inflated only 2.1% over the last year. And, and they'll go down probably further, but, you know, they're not going to go down to negative 6%. And so if core goods, you know, are not going to become persistently deflationary, and, 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 and they probably won't because wages have gone up. So it's, that's an important part of goods production. Um, and core services is still at seven. You really have to either think that core services is going to absolutely collapse and imminently, um, or you have to believe that core goods is going to, core goods prices are going to go back to the former level so that you have big, hard deflation in, in core goods. And, and neither of those things seems terribly likely to me. But um, I guess a final point here before we get back to inflation expectations is that even if I'm wrong on that point um, and inflation is going to go back to 2%, I will tell you that's what the market is currently pricing. And so you can't make any money if you're right on that. Uh, the, the inflation swaps market right now says that by June we'll be at 2.16% year on year. And so if that's true, um, you, you know, you, and, if, and if that's what you believe is going to happen, well, you've missed your chance to make any money on that. And so I do say, I do tell people that even if, even if I didn't think inflation was going to be at 4%-ish uh, for the year, even if I thought it was going to continue to fall, I'd probably still be long inflation because given the levels that are priced into the market, it's, it's, it's just a better bet. Um, obviously, I know a lot of the people who are listening don't have any good way to invest in inflation and, and to make that bet in sort of a direct way. Um, and next week, this is called a teaser, I think, in the podcast biz. Um, next week, um, I will hopefully be able to tell you of a way that you can now make that sort of bet, um, even if you're a, a retail sort of investor. But uh, with that, with that 
teaser in mind, let's go back to the, the whole point of today's episode, which is to talk about um, inflation, expectan- uh, inflation expectations and anchored inflation expectations. Now, you, obviously, you hear Federal Reserve officials talk a lot about, about the fact that inflation expect- it's important for inflation expectations to stay anchored. Um, and, and I wanted to, and because we, we hear all that all the time, but it's very rarely sort of explained, it's sort of assumed. And, and you always have to be careful anytime you come across something which is, is just an assumption. Actually, I had a, a linear algebra teacher back in, in college and, uh, and I'll never forget, he was sort of going through some, some proof and, uh, and he gets to a point where, and he says, Okay, this is where in your book it says it can be shown that. And every time you see it can be shown that, that's where you're going to lever your criticisms of the proof because that's the author of the proof saying, I'm pretty sure this is true, but, and it can, it can be shown that, but I'm not going to show it here. So that's the point we want to question. And, uh, and, that's, and, that, and that's true of proofs and it's true of life. If you just come across something which is everyone takes for granted as an assumption, then the first thing you should do is question whether or not that assumption is valid. You shouldn't just, you know, concede that that assumption is accurate. That means that some people will find you annoying because there's nothing more annoying than somebody who's questioning the very basics before getting into the rest of the argument but it is uh, sort of the right way to go about, you know, attacking assumptions. And, and by the way, in the markets, it's those assumptions, it's assumptions that are, are, are quintessentially just wrong that provide the greatest opportunity for profit. Uh, in the mid-1980s, the, uh, the bond futures market uh, always pretty much, you know, bond futures always pretty much traded at the forward bond price. And then somebody figured out that that was systematically wrong and that being short the contract gave you certain options of which bond to deliver and that those options were worth money. And so therefore the contract ought to trade lower than just the forward price of the bond. So, and those people made millions and millions and millions of dollars for many, many, many years before everyone else realized that, that assumption was wrong and, and the market sort of corrected. But, um, but again, I, I sort of digress. Um, it, it is, it is though, I guess, part of the point of this podcast that uh, this is an assumption that we want to question, that inflation expectations, are inflation expectations anchored, um, and should it matter? And, and to this point, there was a paper written in uh, mid-2021, and I've never covered it on this podcast because I started producing the podcast in late 2021, but it's a really important uh, paper. Um, it was written by Jeremy Rudd from the, um, uh, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And, um, and the name of the paper, the title of the paper is, Why Do We Think That Inflation Expectation Matter? Uh, infl- no, let me say that again. Why do we think that inflation expectations matter for inflation? And should we? That last bit is parenthetical. And should we? Now, I'm always fascinated when somebody inside of the Citadel um, starts, starts questioning. And, um, and it doesn't happen a whole lot at the Fed. There was a, a gentleman at the, um, at the St. Louis Fed um, for many years who, you know, as the, the Federal Reserve kind of forgot monetarism, uh, there was one guy who kind of 
kept lobbing, uh, you know, grenades at at <laughs> at, at the rest of the uh, institution, um, and and bemoaning the fact that the Fed no longer paid attention to the money supply. Um, and he's he's since retired, but but for a long time it was really really interesting and exciting and fun to read uh, his papers. But anyway, this paper by Jeremy Rudd is is of of a kind with those. Um, uh, so it actually the, the the paper was was I um, I guess it was actually officially published September twenty third of twenty twenty one. But so here's the his basic summary in the abstract. Um, I'm going to quote it here. Economists and economic policymakers believe that households and firms' expectations of future inflation are a key determinant of actual inflation. A review of the relevant theoretical and empirical literature suggests that this belief rests on extremely shaky foundations, and a case is made that adhering to it uncritically could easily lead to serious policy errors. So, that's an unusual thing to get from someone within the Federal Reserve, right? They're saying, you know, this is a, a basic assumption that we have in all of our models. And, you know, it it doesn't look like it's like it has a good theoretical foundation. And and if it doesn't, we're probably going to make some big mistakes. Um, and, of course, in 2021, they're already in the midst of a big mistake. And part of it, you know, part of the reason that the Fed thought they could print as much money as they did is they figured that, you know, as long as inflation expectations are anchored, we don't really have to worry about this. So, um, I won't go through the whole paper, but the way he sort of frames the whole thing up front is to say, is to first ask the question, you know, why is it that inflation expectations play such an important role in monetary policy models? And he sort of lists three things. And, and sort of in summary, you know, the, his first bullet point is, hey, they're intuiti- intuitively appealing, these theoretical models, uh, such as those developed by Phelps, Friedman, and Lucas, and the new Keynesian Phillips curve. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, either in- intuitively appealing or it's, it just seems sensible. His second point is that um, assuming that in anchored inflation expectations are important, help to explain the Phillips curve instability, and, and, and more importantly, in my mind, help to explain the shift to mean reverting, the mean reverting process that seemed to take place in the mid-1990s. And I've spoken about this before on this podcast, that, that you know, there, something happened in the early 1990s, and my belief is that it was right after the Berlin Wall fell, and we had this wave of globalization that happened that pushed inflation lower than it otherwise would have been for, for quite a long period of time. Um, but that, but when you go and you try to fit models of inflation either to uh, Keynesian-type variables like industrial production or to monetarist variables, you get a discontinuity in about 1993. And the parameters that you fit the model to before that period and the parameters you fit it to afterwards are different. And so there's clearly is a state shift. And the Fed and the Fed's explanation for that state shift is, hey, inflation expectations suddenly became anchored. And so this process became mean reverting. And so it's is, you know, when I read that, when I first went through this paper, first read this paper, you know, that just like 
got a gold star and, and it really sort of lit me up because I've been saying for a long time that that's what, that's what happened is they, you know, suddenly there was this assumption about mean reversion and where did this assumption come from? Yeah, they made it up and they made it up because they needed to, because otherwise the models didn't work. And so they had a dummy variable that said, are inflation expectations anchored? If yes, then it's a different model. Um, and then, uh, and then his sort of his, his, his third point is, um, um, that, uh, well, you know, we had this you know, point three is, is parts of point, point one and point two, point one, you know, in light of the strong prior induced by theory. So we created this theory, um, and with the casual empiricism of the second point. So we noticed that this kind of happened. It seems sensible to grant a central role for inflation expectations and inflation determination. But this whole thing is sort of circular, right? We sort of, in, I mean, in classic economist form, we assumed a can opener. You know, we came up with an explanation for this. And, and because we built a model on it, the model then worked. And so therefore, we must have come up with the right answer. Very, very circular. And, and you literally could assume any dummy variable um, that, as long as it hit 1993, that makes everything, everything else work. Um, it's kind of like when we used to develop trading, you know, technical trading models. Um, you know, in, uh, when I first got into the business uh, for a technical analysis firm in, in the early 1990s, you know, you'd go design these, these models and you'd go back test them. And, and you always could get a great result from your equity trading model if you had some kind of rule, whatever the rule was, if it got you out of the market right before the crash of 1987, then your performance was fantastic. And it didn't really matter what that rule was. It could be, hey, on October 1st of every year until November 1st of every year, be out of the market. And your model would have great performance, it would beat the market really well because you took out a very large negative uh, dip. So, you know, but that was arbitrary. And so, you you know, that's it, why it's really important to develop a model and then test it out of sample uh, to make sure that the model has some, you know, it's not simply overfitted on the data that you have. But again, now I'm, I'm, I'm going further afield. I'm getting off the track again. And now I'm talking about... Um, you know, quantitative model building and things like that. So, um, but, um, but anyway, so that's what, that is what, what happened. Now we get to the question then of, and I find what I always grind my teeth when someone talks about inflation expectations, you know, affecting inflation, because my first reaction is why should that be so? Why should, if I, <laughs> if I go into the grocery store and the price of a head of lettuce you know, has gone up a dollar, and I don't like that because um, I expected a lower price. What difference does that make? It doesn't affect prices at all. And and the reasoning goes something like, well, if customers expect that prices won't go up, then if we raise prices, then we're going to lose all our customers. And, and there's, and the, on the micro sense, there's validity to that. And I can tell you firsthand dealing with, um, with, with corporate customers, you know, we, we sometimes advise corporate customers and there is a, a strong belief less today than it was three years ago, but three years ago, there was a, a firmly held belief 
that if you raised prices, you lose all your customers. We're talking quasi-competitive industries. Um, because for two decades, that had been the case. If you raise prices, everyone goes to the competitor. Um, and, and so everybody raised their prices very, very slowly over time. Um, but there was this, this firm belief that if the customer, you know, the customer is going to push back. And if the customer pushes back, then I've got to cave in and, and give him what he wants. Um, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on a macro sense. I mean, again, sort of think about the dynamic, um, you know, we all have experiences like that. But again, think about the dynamic of going in and 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 saying to the grocer, I, I didn't expect prices this high, so, you know, can you lower them for me? And having the grocer say, oh, yeah, absolutely, sure, no problem. Let me put it up to where you need to be. Or you go into a, to, uh, you know, buy a, a new car. And yes, we all dicker with the price of a new car, but but it's not that we expect the prices to be lower. We actually expect to do a certain amount of dickering, right? Um, so... Um, you know, there was a, there was a scene in Caddyshack many years ago where, um, uh, one of the characters walks up to, to, uh, Danny, who's in the, um, in the cage and, you know, says that he wants to get a Coke. And, and, and I guess it was Tony, Tony, uh, Denunzio who went up. And said, give me a Coke. And Danny says, one Coke. And he hands uh, Tony a, a bottle of Coke and he gives him uh, 50 cents back. Um, and Tony says, hey, wait a minute. There's only 50 cents. And Danny says, yeah, well, Lou raised the price of Coke. He's been losing at the track. And Tony says, well, I ain't paying no 50 cents for no Coke. And Danny says, whoa, then you ain't getting no Coke. And, and that's the way it works in the real world. <laughs> okay, you don't, you don't like the price? Then you're not getting the product. Um, but we sort of, you know, again, you could sort of see, you know, you can get at the micro level, you can sort of see the dynamic, you know, that uh, particularly business-to-business stuff that people do resist prices. And, and um, uh, but what, but think, think it through, okay? If, if my customer resists the price increase, okay, so I've had my costs go up, so I raise my price. And the customer resists the, my price increase. So what happens next? Well, my customer's going to go to someone else, and that's my fear. My customer's going to go and buy the product from someone else. All right. Well, that's only going to work if that, some other, that, if that other person is keeping their prices low. If that other person is keeping their prices low, the question is, are they losing margin because they're afraid of losing sales? Um, and then if that's true, then will margins eventually go to zero? I mean, if we're just terrified, if, if inflation expectations matter so much that we should never see prices go up because no one, you know, no one really wants prices, prices to go up, right? So if inflation expectations matter more than my cost structure, then why do margins, you know, uh, how are margins margins in the S&P 500 near the widest ever? How could that possibly be the case if everyone's expecting, you know, putting such pressure on producers to keep their prices low? Um, the problem here is that we are generalized, people generalize the to the macro what happens on the micro, right? We know that the customer customer might walk away because we raised the price and he doesn't like the price and he's going to go look somewhere else. 
And that might, for me as a business, you know, I tried to push margins higher and it might not work and, and, and I might lose a bunch of business. And so we, we, we see that. But it doesn't generalize to the macro. Okay, everybody can't do that. Um, or there are going to be some businesses that are just offering products for no margin. And then those companies will go out of business. So it, it, it can't happen. And this is a huge problem in practical economics. It happens all the time. Um, you know, we know that a whole bunch of demand for a product will raise the price of a product, right? That's true. That's supply and demand. We look at the supply and, you know, the demand curve shifts out and, and the price of a, of a product goes up. Okay, but it is not true that too much aggregate demand produces inflation. It seems like it should because too much demand for a product makes the prices go up for that product. So therefore, too much demand in the entire economy makes all the prices go up in, in terms of inflation. But that's in fact not true. And we know that it's not true. And it's, it's demonstrably not true. So you know, we have to be very careful of taking you – know, the assumption here is that what – makes some sense at the micro level will make a bunch of sense at the macro level. And that just isn't the case. That's the big takeaway here today. Macro is not the sum of micros. Um, and inflation expectations, which, by the way, we don't measure very well anyway, really don't play much of a role on the macro scale. Um, and, um, you know, this paper that I, I mentioned is, is completely worth reading. Um, you know, even if you don't like the mathematics part of it, it's just the arguments are, are really on point. He walks through all of the, the, uh, economic history and the arguments for it and then, and systematically dismantles the arguments. It's very well done. Again, the, it's, and it's the finance and economics discussion series from the Federal Reserve Board. Um, and again, that it's Jeremy Rudd, R-U-D-D, the title of the paper is, Why Do We Think That Inflation Expectations Matter for Inflation? question mark, and should we? Uh, highly recommended reading. And that is, uh, and that's all for today. And I appreciate you tuning in. I hope that was better quality. Well, it was better quality than what I threw away yesterday. And you'll never know if it's, if, uh, if that's not true. Uh, anyway, you can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com or follow the, the blog and at inflationguy.blog. You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. Um, you should visit Enduring Investments. You know, we uh, are an investment management firm that manages money for individuals and small institutions and, and consults with larger institutions. And and, uh, and if you are at all interested in inflation or investing, then it's, it's worth going to Enduring Investments and sending us a note. Um, most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.